If you don't have Netflix, you are not a proper cruise ship in our eyes. You've been judged, Carnival. Judged. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode three of History's Greatest Idiots, the podcast in which myself and my co-host Derek look back at the history of human mistakes and try and learn some lessons along the way so that you don't repeat them. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We repeat our mistakes all the time. Derek, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. Excited to be here once again. Yeah. You had a good week? I did. Yeah. My son made the varsity team. We talked about that. They had their first game. And he looked great, so I'm excited. That's awesome. That's really cool. So you <laughs> I, you could be making that MLB dad money eventually. Hoping if you for get it. I, yeah. I wanna I wanna throw pitches at the All Star game or something. Oh yes. Yeah. Except oh, he's not God. a hitter, so I'm kind of screwed on that. <laughs> you know, the so, funny thing is, I've been to America so many times over the years, probably at least a dozen times at this point in my life. I've never been to a baseball game, and it's something I've always wanted to do. I don't know why. Oh, it's man. such an American thing to do. Never done it. it. It's it's America's sport. Exactly. And uh, I mean, I've been to a cricket match, so I can't imagine it'd be that much boring than, than watching cricket. So I definitely want exciting. to go along. It's, it's way more exciting. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we were, we wanted to mention something before we got into uh, this week's episode. Um, last week, last week, people, you know, these are all going to be released in sequence at the uh, the launch. But last week, during Derek's story about Genghis Khan, and the guy who like basically angered him, angered him into a slaughtering spree. We said that he slaughtered something like seven million people, but that's not right, is it? What was the actual number you said? Well, you see, what I did was right. <laughs> I missed some digits. It was okay, uh, somewhere between one point two and one point seven million people. Okay, it's funny because you're like, oh, well, that's a lot down from seven, but it's still it's still like one point two to 1.7 million people it's like oh yeah he only slaughtered less than 2 million people that's still a shitload of people that he yeah. murdered you know it's it's a huge number of people like, it is it is but after you've gone like 7 million people they're like oh is that all is that all you got Genghis um, <laughs> and it wasn't um <laughs> Definitely not. But anyway, this week um, we have two entirely new stories of idiots from the realms of history that we would like to examine so that we may learn from their terrible decisions and mistakes. So, um, Derek, who have you got for us this week? All right. Well, I'm hoping that we can learn from his mistakes, although I would think that most people would already think that uh, his decisions were dumb. (laughs) But I have an American businessman for my idiot this episode. And now most successful businessmen throughout history have been known for their intelligence and cunning. Sure. Often they're remembered for being ruthless or relentless in their drive for wealth and power. Absolutely. That that kind of goes hand in hand. Yes, absolutely. In some cases, they're revered for their rags-to-riches stories. Everybody loves that. Absolutely, yes. Now, um, most of the successful businessmen throughout history do obtain a certain rise in standing to the elite upper class. And uh, a lot of the times, they do really bad things to get there, so Mm -hmm. they try to straighten it out later on in life through philanthropy and things like that, like Andrew Carnegie. Yes, Carnegie Hall and all the various other things that he sponsored throughout his life. I know another example, um, I actually did a voiceover thing not so long ago, um, and I had to act 
as if I was uh, John D. Rockefeller, so who was uh-huh. a known philanthropist as well. Yeah, I had to do a John D. Rockefeller impression, which was something else. But yeah, no, please carry on. I'm very interested by this. Well, for this guy, that wasn't the case. Okay. He wasn't intelligent or cunning. All right. He wasn't even accepted by members of the upper class, despite making millions, which wow. was kind of a shit ton of money in today's standings. Yeah, I would that'd think. be enough to get your respect in today's world, right? Yeah, yeah, you would think. But, you know, not this guy. He, okay. he was born a relative commoner in the New England area of the United States, but dropped out of school and instead worked extremely hard early on. Okay. But he wanted more from life. Mm-hmm. And at the ripe old age of 22, he made his first moves towards becoming part of high society mm-hmm. when he married a woman 10 years his senior. Okay. She, now She was a 32-year-old wealthy widow, okay. and that allowed him to immediately buy a mansion because, you know, he wanted to try and fit in with the folks in high society. Well, as you do. You know, you, you yeah. marry a, a rich widow, the first thing you need to do is buy a pad, you know? Hell yeah. Here's my crib. Big-ass <laughs> mansion. <laughs> I have a money anyway, room. Watch me dive into it. <laughs> I want that. Oh, yeah. Actually. <laughs> Although, could you imagine trying to dive into actual gold coins like Scrooge McDuck? No, Multiple hell, that would broken hurt. bones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Please continue. No, no worries. He did enjoy some success early on as an apprentice. Okay. Um, but his first real victory came off of what said was a completely ridiculous investment. Right. When... He used a ton of money that wasn't his Uh-oh. to buy up a lot of what most people considered to be worthless garbage at the time. Okay. Now, to everyone's surprise, not long after the investment, it skyrocketed and he became very wealthy. Oh. But he wasn't satisfied yet. Okay. So after his initial success, he got it in his head that, uh, like most rich people, I'm going to buy a boat. Of course, yeah. So, so he bought a couple of ships okay, and figured he could start shipping goods and exporting imports, all that stuff, and make oh. even more money. Yeah, it's smart. He's diversifying. I like it. Right? See, so far, so good. Yeah. Not a bad idea. It's He's good doing plan. good. Yeah. Well, when he was thinking of what he should buy and mm-hmm. ship, mm-hmm. he thought the best way to figure that out would be to just look around the room and pick something that would be easy to ship. Okay. So he's decided on bed around. No, that would have been brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) He decided on bed warmers. Bed warmers. Because I don't know why, but they ship. Why not? You know where he decided to ship them? Uh, I'm going to guess somewhere cold. Nah, nah. He went to the Caribbean because who doesn't want a warmer bed in the tropics, right? What is. Yeah, How did he brilliant. come to that decision? I don't know, but um, he did. Okay. All right. I like the balls on this guy. He's an idiot, but oh, yeah. I like where he's well, going with it. It's going to be funny. When when the ships got to the Caribbean, mm-hmm. it didn't go very well because they didn't sell any bed warmers. Well, there's a surprise. Yeah. His dumb luck kicked in, though, because someone figured out that the bed warmers would make great pots for making molasses, which was a booming industry in the part or in those parts at the time. Okay. And he sold every single bed warmer. Well, that's that that is incredible luck. If he hadn't intended that to be the case, that is amazing. It, it was not noted to be his initial intention <laughs> to have that be the case. He honestly didn't even really know what molasses was. Wow, that so, is incredible luck. With, with all that money, what does he do? 
Okay. More trade. All right. And yeah. uh, obviously, these folks in the Caribbean are cold. Mm-hmm. So he bought a shit ton of mittens and shipped oh. them down there. What is he doing? Uh, well, nobody bought them. Well, there's a surprise. Yeah, you can't make uh, molasses in mittens, it turns no. out. But here comes the dumb luck again. Oh, my God, this guy. <laughs> right as the sailors are getting ready to leave, mm. a bunch of merton- merchants show up uh, about ready to head out to Siberia. Oh, my God. Yep, they bought all the, mitt- the mittens because it's cold in sub- Siberia. This might be the luckiest human being in history. I, I think he might be. That's Quite incredible. possibly. Yeah. So now, with this success, uh, some folks were thinking, maybe he's a genius, <laughs> but... That's only if they didn't know how he amassed his fortune. Okay. Because it was really just bad decision-making and stupid ideas that happened to make him rich. That paid off somehow. It did pay off, but it's still kind of hard to spin him as like some brilliant uh, business strategist when his ideas include shipping boatloads of bed warmers (laughs) and mittens to the West Indies in the Caribbean. It's For some so reason, stupid. I can't honestly believe it. It's amazing. This is amazing. It, it is amazing. And for some reason, it all worked. And he wasn't done there. Oh, no. It just It's like one of those gambling things. It's like, dude, you've won twice. Stop. Yeah, you know, quit away, while you're ahead. Well, everybody thinks the dude's a moron. And they know <laughs> it's all been luck making him money. Yeah. And they thought, okay, this would be fun. We could troll this guy and separate this fool from his fortune. Okay. So they told him the best way to keep making money and gain that status that he was seeking mm. would be to start shipping and selling coal. Right. Again, not a bad idea. It's it's, a, it's actually a very good idea for the world, I'm assuming, at the time. So At the time. Well... Except for they told him that he should sell it in Newcastle. What? For those of you who don't know, Newcastle's a coal mine. Oh, Newcastle, I used to live... Oh, God, the, the the small world thing's kicking in again. I used to live in Newcastle. <laughs> Newcastle oh, yeah? is ships and coal and mining and hard industry. And also, there is no shortage of coal in the UK. We have, like, South Wales, various parts <laughs> of the north... There is coal everywhere in this country, and it is much easier to put it on a canal barge or on a train and just get it where it needs to go instead of, like, putting it on a boat from the Caribbean or wherever the hell it was. No, he was shipping it from, like, Massachusetts Bay. He was like, screw it, I'm going to send it across the Atlantic to a coal mine. (laughs) What the hell is he doing? So you think for sure he's screwed right there, right? He's going to lose all his money? He has to be, surely. Yeah. Nope. Uh, The week the coal arrived, all the miners went on strike and boom. Sold his coal for a huge profit. I don't believe... That is unbelievable. I want this man's luck. I do. I, Just I don't think bet. I could make dumb enough decisions to accidentally do this, though. This is incredible. How is this not a film for a star? It should be. It should mm-hmm. be. If no, anybody ends up listening to this podcast and you're in Hollywood or Bollywood or whichever the various versions are around the world, make this film. This is unbelievable comedy. Talking to you, Netflix. <laughs> we, we want a cut. We want a cut. We want 5%. <laughs> yeah, don't Dave Chappelle me. <laughs> so this sort of thing went on for years, and every business venture he went out on, they seemed like they were doomed to fail, and every time he got lucky. Unbelievable. And, well, he decided to do the smart thing. And quit while he was ahead Thank and retire. God. He retired filthy rich, oh. moderately famous, and generally happy. Good. So he decided to write a book. 
Okay. Now, you remember back when I said he dropped out of school early? Oh, no. Well, when I said early, I meant eight years old oh, so dear. he could go work on a farm. He didn't... Did he not think of hiring a ghostwriter or anything like that? Or like an actual no. professional author? Well, dude, he wasn't... I mean, are you thinking he's smart enough to I come know, up with I a know. good what idea? Come on. At? So, he wasn't an educated man and never learned to write. Oh, no. Which would make it hard to write a book. Yeah. He, uh, he did it anyway. Oh, my God. And he titled it A Pickle for the Knowing Ones. A pickled f- pickle for the knowing ones? Yes, sir. That's It had no punctuation. <laughs> Most of the words were misspelled, and capitalization was at random. Wow. Um, yeah. Kind of sounds like beat poetry to be honest that title <laughs> a little bit a little bit a yeah. little bit well most of the people that thought he was a moron kind of started wondering if maybe maybe just maybe he wasn't stupid but was in fact a genius yeah. and kind of hoped that the book would be a fountain of wisdom with the truth behind how he became so successful yeah so the book sold like hotcakes every copy was bought up <laughs> <laughs> it was mostly a rant about his wife uh, really taxes and the Pope. Yep. Why is he? Why it was Pope? just a nonsense book of shit that he was mad at. Wow. <laughs> so it's not like Clinton's uh, biography where it's like, I'm going to spread my life out over 900 pages. It's just the ramblings of a guy who's been incredibly lucky, basically. Yeah. And and, and then he has the, the gall to complain about his wife, who's the only reason that he had any money exactly. to invest money and make money. Oh, yeah. So, one of the people decided to do a review on the book and okay. called it what it was, complete trash <laughs> with no punctuation at all. Okay. And our idiot decided he didn't like the review oh, because, uh, well, he especially resented the punctuation comment. <laughs> and he decided to publish a second edition. Oh, well, I thought he was going to sue, but no, he's he's really doubling down. Indeed. And in the back of the second edition, he added one page filled with 13 lines of random punctuation marks and the instructions to readers to salt and pepper as they please. Now, that's spelled S-O-L-T-P-L-E-S-E, which is why I tried to read it. I don't even know how it should be pronounced. No, that's that's really bad. Got any ideas on who it might be? Oh, um, sorry, S-O-L-T, so salt. And mm-hmm. what was the other one? Please, please, P-L-E-S-E. E-S-E. Uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, like, you know. I learned Welsh, and that's a phonetic language, so to me, a part of that makes sense. So It, it could. Yeah, I mean, it's shorthand. It's, <laughs> it's shorthand, it'll probably do. probably end up in one of my texts. Yeah. I text like that. <laughs> it's, yeah, wow. Any guesses on the guy? I, I, I really wish I knew, because this okay. guy sounds well, fascinating. But... He is, and our historical idiot in question is 18th century businessman... Timothy Dexter, who made his first fortune using his wife's money to buy up tons of continental currency during the Revolutionary War, which most people thought wouldn't be anything because England was going to whoop our ass. Of course. But he proceeded to fall ass backwards into profits the rest of his life and amassed millions. But uh, Mr. Timothy Dexter failed at the one thing that mattered most to him because nobody in high society ever accepted him because he was vain and ridiculous and utterly crude. Isn't that? That is such a fascinating story. You think of all the different, like, kind of historical moments that have been turned into films. This guy had incredible luck. But again, it's like there's that tragedy there that all he wanted was to be accepted by the people in high society. 
and they looked down on him so much that it didn't matter how lucky and how much money he made, they were never going to accept him. That is such a sad story, in a way. But yeah, my God. It is a sad story, but he did die a happy man, and uh, he had one last parting shot on his tombstone. Okay. Which reads, I am the first in the East, the first in the West, and the greatest philosopher in the Western world. Oof. Perhaps he was, and maybe he was just an idiot that got lucky. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, the the line between genius and someone who's just incredibly lucky, it's it's very hard to know where that line is, you know? We've it, seen incredibly talented and brilliant people have absolutely no luck in life. You know, you look at someone like Nikola Tesla, who should have yeah. dominated the world in terms of industrial innovations, but because he was screwed over at various points in his life by Thomas Edison and other people as well, never really got the recognition he deserved in his lifetime. And yet there's this guy, who I've never heard of, died a many times over multimillionaire, which is incredible. Yep. But he was a fool, and he was kind of an asshole. He was kind of an asshole, wasn't he? Okay, yeah. He does sound quite vain, (laughs) in fairness. There is is that. This is going to be a really, really difficult one to grade. Because I do kind of have a soft spot for this guy. Because it's like he keeps on trying and keeps on succeeding. And he does the most insane things that somehow work out. And at that, at a certain point, you have to question, is it luck? Or has he got some sort of, I don't know, is there some sort of angel on his shoulder that can see the future? I don't, I don't know with this one. Um, see, I thought maybe he was friends with somebody that stuck their head in a bag and read it to him on some plates or something. I, I mean, hey, it worked it's, to start a religion. It's so hard to know. I, I don't know if I can grade him that high because he's been successful, you know. He, he was so dumb. He was so dumb. Oh, God, he was so dumb. If it was anybody else, <laughs> it would have. Fa- if it was me, for sure, it would have failed miserably. Yeah, and me. Like... That's the thing. A lot of people who, like I say, have been vastly intelligent and incredibly talented have failed. And that's fine. But this guy, it is it is kind of incredible. I think based purely on his success, which is entirely luck, and the fact that he kept on proving people wrong, even if they weren't going to accept him anyway. I guess the fact that he kept on going for their affection and their kind of respect is probably a bit of a bad sign because he kept on trying and he was never going to get that. So that's one sign. So I'm going to give him, I think I'm going to say about a 62 with this guy. He was incredibly fortunate. There's no doubt about it. But the fact that he kept on trying and getting lucky, there's something about that that you've got to admire, that that will to succeed. Um, Well, And there's not a huge lesson to be learned from his mistakes, because most people shouldn't do the same crap that he did. Absolutely not. And actually, in, in many ways, his story is somewhat a bit like the embodiment of the American dream. Because a little bit. he came from nothing. He was a, a multimillionaire by the time he died. And he will be remembered as the luckiest man in history, potentially. And that's potentially. That's kind of amazing when you think about it. I'm that is a fascinating story. Thank you for telling me that, Derek. Because I if you'd said, here's a script, have a read, what do you think? It's a fictional story. I would have said, look, this is just too unbelievable because there's no way anyone this lucky and this idiotic ever existed. But here we are, you know? Right. Well, I'm not going to lie. I, I really picked this one just because I was mad at him. Like, I was jealous. 
<laughs> a little jealous. <laughs> like, yeah, God, I wish I had some of those decisions. Like, you hear about all these people. Like, yeah, someone offered me three bitcoins ten years ago, and I just took them, and now they're worth a million pounds each or whatever it is. So. Right? Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Well, um, I, I don't know. I, um... <laughs> I kind of, kind of was like, man, this guy sounds a little bit like Trump early on. Dropped out of school, got a loan to make an investment. Yeah, except he, he, you know, Trump wasn't dirt poor. Yeah, you know? he, uh, he also went bankrupt a bunch of times. Whereas yeah, Timothy Dexter guy didn't. Exactly. Yeah, Timothy Dexter was a, a successful businessman, whereas Trump is a significantly less successful businessman slash potentially human being. We don't truly know on that front, but you know, and but that that is amazing, and I really do hope. That if somebody is out there that has the ability to make a film about someone from history, Timothy Dexter sounds like a fascinating character and protagonist for this. That's a kick-ass title already, too, right there. Timothy Dexter just sounds nice. It does. It sounds like a fictional character because it's got a nice flow to it. Absolutely. Please make a film about that. That would be amazing. Moving on to my thing. I'm excited. If they... <laughs> If they do make a film about this, and I'm pretty certain they will do because a number of documentaries have been made about it, I think it's going to be an incredibly interesting thing to cast. Now, we've done stories from uh, the 12th century, from the 19th century, the 18th century, um, and various points in time. I'm going to bring you forwards to the 21st century, our first 21st century entry into um, possibly the Hall of Fame. Um, it, it's going to be up to you to decide um, how stupid this guy was. And it is another guy. I'm sorry, men out there, but we do make you know, the lion's share of very bad decisions in world history. But um, I'm going to tell you now, and I don't know if you've heard of this. I'm sure the majority of the world has at this point. I'm going to tell you the story of the Costa Concordia. Here we go. The Costa Concordia was launched in 2005 at a cost of $570 million. The name Concordia was intended to express the wish for continuing harmony and unity and peace between European nations. So it worked out great, because that's definitely still the case now. Um, On its launch day, the champagne bottle that is traditionally used to smash against the side of ships... Uh, was released by model Eva Herzegova. I had to practice that. I kept mispronouncing it wrong. Um, it failed to break when it swung against the hull the first time, which is... That's an, a bad sign. Yeah. It's an inauspicious omen in maritime superstition due to the fact that sailors are really fucking weird. Um, if Superstitious bunch. Yeah. If there are any, like ship watchers out there, if that's the thing. Um, The measurements for the ship are she was 290 metres long, that's 952 feet. Um, She had a beam, whatever the fuck that is, of 35.5 metres, that's 116 feet, and drew, again, don't know what that is, 8.2 metres, that's 26 foot of water. I have no idea if that's impressive or not, but it's a thing people apparently pay attention to. So there you go, ship lovers out there. Um, There's your figures for you. Um, Costa Concordia, and here's the really interesting stuff, because really when you go on a cruise ship, you only really want to know about the facilities, don't you? You're not interested in like, oh, how much water does does it displace? Like, who gives a shit? Yeah, I'm wondering (laughs) how much free drinks I get and does it have a casino? Oh, here we go. Here we go, Derek. (laughs) Costa Concordia had 13 public decks. 
Hicks, another bad omen, if ever I've seen oh. one. Each That's, named... They usually don't do that, though, right? They yeah. They take those... Take, call it deck 14. Uh, deck yeah, 14. exactly. Or like deck zero or so, you know. Yeah. Um, it, each deck was named after a European state because of the whole unity. Deck okay. one, the Netherlands, was the lowest. So fuck you, Holland. Um, <laughs> followed by Sweden, Belgium, and then all the way at the top, deck 13, Poland. So here's to unity, Holland. You're the cheapest deck, but not as cheap as like the bowels of the ship, which I'm, I'm assuming that was like Andorra or some fucking micro state <laughs> like that. Um, Costa Concordia was outfitted with approximately 1,500 cabins, 505 uh, with private balconies, very nice, and 55 with direct access to the Samsara Spa, which uh, were considered uh, spa staterooms. 58 suites had private balconies, and 12 had direct access to the spa. I bet they paid a fortune for those rooms as well. Um, Costa Concordia had the world's largest exercise facility areas at sea. Uh, The Samsara Spa, a two-level, 64,000-square-foot fitness centre with a gym, a... Right, Hmm. I'm going to have to concentrate on this one. Thalassotherapy pool. I don't know. What is that? I don't know. I don't know. It sounds something about penises. Uh, probably. It had one of those. Uh, it also had a sauna, okay. a Turkish bath, and a solarium. So, quite nice. Uh, yeah. The ship had four swimming pools, two with retractable roofs, five jacuzzis, five spas, and a poolside movie theater on the main deck. And oh, uh, that's just the half Can I get of it. One of those? Yeah, I want one of those we... from my backyard, man. You really do want to get something like that installed. You know, that's the height of living, really. Um, there were also... I feel weird swimming while I was on a ship, though. Oh yeah, I've done. I've been on a cruise, and it is not. It's it's actually ironically one of the only ways you can feel equal, uh, equalized. You know, because the water's rocking with the boat, uh, but you're not moving. So it's it's yeah, a very weird sensation. Sense. Uh, I know I wouldn't be working out if I was on a cruise. No, no. Most people don't. Like, the gym is kind of a bit of a waste of time. It's probably only going to be three or four people in there every single day because the majority of people are just going to be gorging themselves on the various things that they have on board. Like five restaurants with Club... I know. Club Concordia and Samsara taking reserve dining only. There were 13 bars including a cigar and cognac bar that's you know this is a good ship when they have a cigar and cognac bar i mean come on it's fancy yeah and a coffee and chocolate bar you know for for the people that can't stand cigars or cognac um it's delicious that does sound pretty good (laughs) that's a good evening right there restaurant cognac and cigars and then coffee and chocolate it's like you can go to sleep happy with that combination of chemicals rolling around in your body Uh, and I do mean rolling, we'll get to that Um, entertainment (laughs) options included a three level theatre, a casino a futuristic disco a children's area equipped with uh, video games and a basketball court, she also had aboard a Grand Prix motor racing simulator an internet cafe because that was a thing back in 2005 and a fucking mall Wow. So this thing had a mall huh. on port. So it was That's that's neat. That is 
I mean, just all of that. You're like, just take me, just take my money. Yeah, I'm ready to. I'm ready to buy some tickets. Yeah, absolutely. But wait until you hear what happens. Um, the ship. Uh, the ship left. Um, oh, here we go with these Italian names. Civitavecchia. <laughs> Civitavecchia. On a week-long cruise through various ports just off the west coast of Italy, and was due to arrive back in Rome on the 18th of January, but. On Friday the 13th of January 2012. Oh, no. I know. Just, uh, and this is another interesting point. This is a few months out from the 100th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. Um, things went badly wrong, uh, largely thanks to one man and his staggering incompetence. Francesco Schettino. 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 We'll just call him Francesco or Schettino. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, was her captain on that voyage, and he had quite the reputation. In two years, um, he somehow went from being the head of security to the position of captain. Don't ask me how that hmm. happens in the real world, how you go from being a bouncer to captaining a giant floating city. Um, he took a course online. It's just, yeah, like, how? who was he bribed? to get there it's the equivalent of like me and you doing this podcast and then the next day hosting the oscars like there's no way yeah. that happens to someone in normal channels especially when you find out what this guy was uh, like as a captain he was well versed in emergency procedure as he'd previously crashed the costa concordia ship in a port in sicily in 2008 and again in germany in 2010 but that was on a different ship he decided to not slow down and just slam into the actual uh, harbour itself. So at this point, he's probably more relaxed about the whole crashing a massive ship into things scenario. So that probably didn't help what we're about to see. So back yeah, to the rust off for year off. <laughs> so back to Friday the thirteenth. Friday the thirteenth. Everything's going well on board. The wine is flowing. Everyone's enjoying their evening meal. Antonio Magnota is playing a variety of adult contemporary songs in the restaurant on his giant, shiny piano. And, right. get this, Martin the Magician is setting up for his show in the three-level theatre. With all this... See, that's classy. Yeah, Martin the Magician. That's the, Nothing says mysterious quite like the name Martin. Um, <laughs> with all this merriment underway, the captain decides it would be a good idea to do a sail-by salute which is a thing where you get the ship as close as possible to the shore, honk the ship's horn to give the passengers a thrill, and scare everyone on land into thinking that there's a nuclear war about to break out, because oh, that's loud. The, the people on land hate it, particularly in Italy, because these are like sleepy fishing villages and stuff, and occasionally right. they'll just have a massive cruise line to go along honking a horn. So... um but uh, yeah, basically, I picture he just watched Top Gun and he's buzzing the yeah, tower. Yeah, I'm totally gonna do that. Shatino uh, leaves dinner with his mistress, Dominica uh -oh. Semortan. Uh, we'll get to her as well, and heads to the bridge where Shatino decides he wants to do the closest sail by salute ever recorded on the Costa Concordia. Possibly because the spark has gone out of his affair and, you know, he wants to rekindle it by scaring some locals. Um, he oh wants to get... He calls ahead as well. This is the interesting thing. He called one of his mates who was a captain 
and uh, he said, fellow captain, what's the safest distance I can get this thing to the shoreline? And the guy said, by no means are you to get it within half a mile of the shoreline. Half a mile is the safest distance I would recommend because there's a lot of rocks here. So he decided that instead of the half a mile, he'd do 1,500 feet um, away from the island of Giglio and decided that as an experienced captain with years of crashing ships under his belt, (laughs) he was going to eyeball it instead of using one of the dozen or so computerized instruments at his disposal. So Shitino turns to his second-in-command, who then turns to the helmsman, and he orders his second-in-command, who relays that to the helmsman. I should tell you about the helmsman. The helmsman is a gentleman called Jacob Ruslibin, an Indonesian resident who's never done this job before. Back in Indonesia, he was a painter and a cleaner. And so we got a bouncer and a painter. A bouncer and a painter are piloting this fucking enormous ship. Also noted about Jacob Rusley Bin is that he doesn't speak English or Italian. So um, Shatino turns to his second in command, who orders the helmsman to turn to a heading of 290. Now, these are points on a compass. So, you know, I don't know which direction that is, but 290. That away, ho. That way, yeah. <laughs> then, seconds later, the captain changes his heading to 300. Then, another few seconds pass by, and he changes that heading to 310. But this is the crucial part. He changes the speed from 10 to 16 knots, which is fast as balls when you're basically piloting a city. Seconds later, he changes it again to a heading of 325. It's at this point that he's kind of realised that he's sl- he's kind of overcooked it a little bit. But the helmsman doesn't understand him and instead says that he's going to 315. Um, the first Aww. officer tries to uh, intervene by reordering a, a course of 335, which is also wrong. The captain corrects them both again and says 325, which they do. In the time it took for them to fuck all of that up and put in the correct heading, they're now miles off course. Not literally miles, but when you're 1,500 feet from the shore, it's enough. Um, And of course, they're still eyeballing it. Uh, The entire time, the third officer is supposed to be shouting out directional headings every time the captain changes direction. But she's not bothering tonight. She's just like literally sat just minding her own business. Uh, The crew suddenly realise that they're going too fast and uh, they're actually understeering the ship, so they're essentially drifting it. So the captain relays a new direction of 350, which the helmsman imports as 340. And at that point, their fate's sealed. Um, They basically try a few evasive manoeuvres, which the helmsman gets wrong again. And uh, instead of steering to the right, he steers to the left, which is amazing. (laughs) Um, Your other right. Your other the right. other way, dude. Um, a 53-metre gash is opened in the port side when they hit rocks that are underwater. Um, a loud scraping and bang is heard by everyone on board. Antonio Magnotta totally ruins his rendition of Hey Jude. And the box <laughs> that Martin the Magician is in the process of soaring in half uh, falls off stage, revealing that there are, in fact, two women inside... <laughs> one of whom is really badly injured as a result of the tumble. And she was panicking because she heard the scrape and they were still trying to saw the box in half and she wanted to get out. And that's part of the reason the box fell off stage, Uh, making it obviously the first time in history someone has been injured during one of Martin's spectacular shows. Um, The ship 
starts drifting out into the ocean because all the engines have stopped working and the power has failed. Everything is black as night at this point. Eventually, the emergency lighting does come back on and people in the theatre notice that Martin the Magician has magically vanished and they start panicking. (laughs) The people on board naturally start to try to get the fuck off the vessel, but the crew assure them that there's nothing wrong. And this is a direct... Well, not direct quote. I've abridged it. It's just a power cut. Please take off your life jackets and head back down into your lower deck cabins as this powerless steel coffin drifts ever deeper into the darkness of night. Um, Yeah, that's no joke. They actually lied about uh, what was going on to avoid causing a panic. It's like, it's a bit late at this point. Uh, they they made the just uh just a blackout announcement as the ship started to list to one side, so it was starting to tilt towards the starboard side. And over this is the funniest part. I mean, nothing none about this is funny, but this is pretty amazing. Uh, my heart will go on. Starts playing over the PA system in the restaurant. Get the fuck out of I here! I swear <laughs> to God. Celine wow. Dion starts warbling as this ship starts rocking to one side. Amazing. Oh, man. That's not helping the panic, as you can imagine. Oh. Because people are like, are they taking the piss? What's going on? <laughs> All of the watertight clothes on the uh, doors close on the lower deck, except for number 12, which is jammed open and allows thousands of gallons of seawater to flood beyond the seven compartments it's already swallowed, which include the um, electronics, the diesel, and the ship's engines, the generator... Um, the captain, at this point, being experienced as he is, starts to panic um, and begins battering his engineers, who are doing everything they can to restore power, with the most helpful questions in history, and these are all quotes. Is there water? Oh. Yes, Captain, there's water. <laughs> How much water? A lot? Yes, Captain, there's a lot of water. Can we restart the diesel? No, Captain, everything is lost. Is it still flooded? Yes, Captain, everything is lost. <laughs> The only thing he didn't ask was, what's your ideal Sunday? And basically, he was kind of losing it at this point. Um, The captain calls the Costa Crisis Center and tells them that they've hit rocks, they have no power, and are starting to list to the starboard, to which the official Costa Crisis people reply, just reverse the ship onto the shore. And before he can say, we don't have any fucking power, you idiots, they've hung up on him. Um, oh jeez! Oh no, it gets worse. Thankfully, at this point, though, one of the passengers has been like, "Hmm, I heard a loud bang and I heard a loud scraping. There are plates sliding down the floor in front of me, and they're telling us to go back to our cabins." I think I'm going to call my daughter. So this person calls her daughter, who calls the police, who call the harbour master, and he calls her back, and she relays what's happened to him and how the ship is powerless, it's listening to one side, loud scraping, bang, etc. While this is happening, the captain is still lying to the Costa Crisis Centre about how bad things are, and uh, people are now starting to fill hallways and launch lifeboats themselves. They're not waiting anymore, they've taken over. The captain now gets a call from the harbour master and tells the harbour master, it's just a blackout, gotta go, my souffle's getting cold, or something like that. (laughs) Thankfully... Uh, the harbour master doesn't buy this and sends out a bunch of ships uh, to take a look for themselves. Um, after another call, the captain confesses uh, what's going on, but says uh, they just need a tugboat. They don't need all those boats. Just a little tug into port. It's fine. Yeah. 
The captain now realises the ship is fucked, but tells the cruise director to tell the passengers that uh, that are currently in the process of trying to abandon ship uh, to go back to their cabins because everything's fine and they can enjoy drinks in the lounges if they prefer. No one believes uh, this cruise director and they continue to abandon ship. The captain decides to let them go but he doesn't order a general emergency because he realises that the audio from the ship is now being broadcast on local news stations. Don't ask me how that's happening. Oh, damn. Yeah, so he knows he's being listened to. Um, He even orders the crew and everyone to stay, despite the fact that the safety officer, who's been in touch with the people below decks, has ordered the evacuation. At this point, the captain has lost all authority and people just fuck off and leave him. Um, So... Seems fair. Yeah, I would say at that point, this idiot has lost all command. And, you know, time is up. Um, Because of the captain's indecision, the ship is now grounded at an angle. So it means that only half of the lifeboats can be launched because the other ones are stuck on the other side of the ship. Meaning that they have to drop people off on the shoreline, which thankfully they're close to, um, and then go back and pick other people up, which slows the rescue down even more. The harbour master once again calls the captain who says now that the ship is currently being manoeuvred to port uh, when, in fact, it's actually run aground. He's saying that the ship is still operational at this point. I don't know why. He still can't admit to himself that things have gone quite badly wrong. Um, he uses to admit failure. Yeah, just move on, dude. You know? Um, at this point, the captain tells the crew to abandon ship while he goes and changes out of his uniform and gets into a nice suit. Because, you know, every mistress is crazy for a sharp-dressed man. Um, He promptly abandons ship while 280 people are still on board. Uh, Oh, what a jackass. Yeah, what a massive prick. This guy is... he's, He's caused this. He's kind of hired the wrong people for the job. He's not responded. He's lied. And now he's buggering off. But it keeps getting worse for this guy. When the Coast Guard, who is a very experienced captain, hears this, he calls the captain on the radio. The captain turns it off. So the Coast Guard calls him back on his mobile phone and the captain says that he fell into a lifeboat and now that he's on board, he might as well abandon ship. Uh, To which the Coast Guard replies, and this is Italian, Vada a borda, caso, which literally translates to... Get the fuck back on board. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and the captain's supposed to go down with his ship. Exactly. The dude changes into his I suit and runs away. I will go down with this ship. No, he didn't. He was the f- he was off that thing as soon as he could. And actually, uh, a little bit of a footnote to this story. In the weeks following the disaster, um, the audio of that conversation was leaked to the press, and people started printing T-shirts with "Vada a bordo caso" on them. It just it sold out, and basically the captain could retire um, off the pensions made. The other captain, not the ship bird, you know. Right. Um, anyway, the captain <laughs> hears this and he refuses. Uh, he makes landfall and disappears into the night for a while, watching the shipwreck from like some rocks or something. Um, with his mistress and a few other crew members. Eventually, he's found by the local constabulary, who drag him back to the evacuation site, and he's given the bollocking of a lifetime by the harbour master. Apparently, he's being screamed at non-stop for 45 minutes by the uh, the Coast Guard and the harbour master. And the captain, it seems reasonable. It seems fair. 
the captain is now handed over to the local police who dump him in a cab um, and tell the cabbie to take him to uh, a nearby hotel. Um, he's in the cab for all of 30 seconds, but the cabbie was asked af- asked afterwards what he was like, and he said um, he was beaten. He was a beaten man, like like shaking, everything. It was all a bit of a mess. But, of course, right. um, that didn't stock, stop him from giving an impromptu press conference when he got to the hotel while 50 people were still on board the sinking ship. He tells the press that he was the last person to leave the ship, even though he uh-huh. knows... By the time he left, there were still hundreds of people on, and there's still 50 at this point. After weeks of investigation, the final number of dead stood at 33, which included 32 people on board and one salvage worker who died two years later after the disaster. It was the largest cruise ship disaster since the Titanic, almost 100 years earlier. The trial of the captain wasn't helped by the fact that trace amounts of cocaine were found in his hair, after the the crash, or the fact that his now ex-mistress accused the ship and its crew of being a giant floating drug mule. So they were just, like, dropping off drugs in Italian ports along the way. Um, Oh, man. Yeah, and that's that's happened before. Apparently a lot of cruise ships, they're like, oh, they go over to the Caribbean, they come back to America or, you know, Europe, and they're bringing a shitload of drugs with them. So there's, like, investigations going on into that whole thing. That's that's another story which I would love to know more about. Um, Carnival, <laughs> the parent company of Costa, saw, after immediately after the accident, saw their shares drop by 30% and were sued by dozens of different people and organisations, including the residents of Giglio, who were like, we've got a fucking shipwreck on our doorstep now and all sorts of stuff's washing up on our beautiful coastline we want money please um in the end they only paid out a small amount and pushed all the blame onto the captain carnival offered every passenger who was involved in the shipwreck fourteen thousand dollars in compensation each and they paid a fine of one million dollars they pay that fine so that they never had to face any criminal trials huh yeah a million dollars so that you can avoid a criminal trial. I I wonder if Donald Trump ever hears this podcast because, dude, there's your out. Go to Italy, sink a ship, pay a million dollars. You never have to be in any trouble again. Um, this captain actually sounds a lot like him. Just yeah, throws his hands over his ears like la la la. la, la, la it's not real. I like my mistress. La la la. <laughs> uh, eventually, the passengers who were like. $14,000, you'd fucking take him the piss. Um, they held out. They got $30,000 each, uh, which is still a fucking slap in the face, isn't it? They doubled their money. They doubled their money, but like yeah. thirty grand for nearly dying? Like, I'd want more. Well, for a minute, I thought you were going to tell me Carnival offered him free cruise Oh, dollars. God, could you imagine? Could you imagine? <laughs> you get Costa bucks. No. <laughs> Concordia dollars. Um, but obviously the families of the people who died on board got significantly more. No one's got any information on that because they were all settled out of court, but Costa never wanted that to go to trial because it would have sunk the shares of Carnival eventually. Um, this this is the, the m- biggest slap in the face I think I've ever heard of any story in history. Chitino, while he is under house arrest pending trial... Um, decided that he was going to write a book about his experiences on board the cruise ship and, unbelievably, had an affair with his ghostwriter at the same time. Um, 
Damn. I know. This guy is just a nightmare of a human being. All the other yeah. crew members who were approached by the prosecution decided to strike plea deals with the court so that they could get off with very light sentences. The majority of them were suspended sentences or they were even community service in some cases um, in exchange for pointing the finger of blame directly at the captain. Um, all accepted except the helmsman, Jacob, who fled to Jakarta and has never been seen since. Like, he just, yeah. the guy who actually piloted the ship, they were like, look, we don't want anything from you. We just want you to point the finger at the captain. He's like, no, see ya, bye. <laughs> just disappeared into some part of uh, Indonesia or something. Um, Shitino comes to his trial. I'm not going to get drawn into this thing. He is found guilty of multiple counts of manslaughter, causing a shipwreck, abandoning ship, and lying to authorities. After, um, uh, two retrials, well, not retrials, two appeals, he is sentenced to 16 years in prison, which sounds like a lot, but that's essentially six months for every person who died on board his ship that night. Yeah, there's um, people that get longer sentences for manslaughter in a DUI case. Exactly. There's people who get longer than that for, like, their third strike, you know, yeah. uh, like stealing a pizza or... You know, dealing oh, yeah. drugs or something like that. This guy was so negligent. He cost um, his parent company literally billions of dollars because this thing was a complete wreck. It cost them another few hundred million dollars to refloat the thing and get it into harbour and dismantle it and sell it for scrap. Um, and he killed 33 people and forever ruined the reputation of carnival like nobody wanted to go on one of their cruise ships when they were employing a bouncer as right. their captain you know so that is the story of mr Chitino and the costa concordia now i just wanted to say something he is definitely at fault here he is a fucking terrible human being that being said he wasn't exactly helped by his parent company who did everything they could to avoid prosecution and blame in this case you know, by paying out the most meagre amount of money they could. So I have to know, Derek, what do you think of Mr. Chitino in what? terms of scoring? Well, you know, I I feel bad because I was laughing a lot and people died. So no, yeah, I know. Sad it's thing. okay to laugh because some of this is so incredible. Yeah, it's just... This guy's ridiculous. You know, <clears throat> unbelievable decision-making from this guy. It's just un unwillingness to accept actual reality. Um, yeah. I think puts him up there. Yeah. I'm not going to say he's, you know, the the level of like say John the 1st or anything like that. Sure, yeah. But um dude, super <laughs> idiot and oh yeah, like and a, just, just a shit person. <laughs> just a terrible terrible person, a series of bad decisions and no ability to cope in a crisis. Like, if you're a captain of a ship, surely grace under pressure is one of the prerequisites for the job, right? Right. Well, and he sh he should he would have been able to if he listened to anybody or had a brain in his head at all. Get a exactly. lot of those people off early. Yeah. Um. But he was it's, like, "No, go so back. Take, put 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 your, yep. your your gowns back on. Take that off and yeah, go over there. Yeah. Hey. Take off your life jackets. You <laughs> don't need those." I want to oh know God. who played that song, because they're my hero. Whoever <laughs> decided to do that. <laughs> Imagine if, like, quickly, just play something, and then the first thing they hit is that. Like, no! Of all the songs, 
but I, I also noticed that they had to play something over the PA system because the uh, the guy who was playing the piano in the restaurant, he's like, no, fuck it, I'm gone. Yeah. I am not. <laughs> you are not paying me enough to play Carpenter's songs <laughs> for these people. I'm sorry. Piano man's so. out. <laughs> okay. So there we go. So in terms of scoring, what do you think of Mr. of Captain Shatino? Um, in terms of scoring, in terms of scoring, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go relatively conservative with a, sure. a seventy-six. I think Still. that's a fair score because while he is a massive idiot, and there is no two ways about it, like this guy is the kind of embodiment of terrible decision making. You know, with, there are people out there who have made huge mistakes in history, which we've already covered, that have cost. Hundreds of thousands of lives, millions in some cases. Right. And, like, crippled countries financially and, you know, all sorts of problems. So I will take 76 for Captain Chitino and the Costa Concordia absolute disaster. Um, It's put me off ever wanting to go on a cruise again. I don't know about you. (laughs) Between that and the food poisoning that they had on one of those... Oh, yeah, that happens every other cruise. Yeah. It's really weird. Not a fan of that. I, I never was a fan of wandering around on a ship anyway. Nah, if it's too big to fish off of or water ski behind, I'm not going. Yeah. And like we <clears throat> when we were outlining all the things um before, like oh, it's got a mall, it's got a theatre, it's got all these restaurants, it's got a cognac and cigar bar. It's like, well, you know, even after a while you'd be like like a a, a week at sea. Like after a while you'd be a bit like, Oof, I'm done yeah. with this now. Yeah. You know, get me back in front of Netflix and, you know, get me Wait, some jerky or something, you know. No, what they didn't. What kind of luxury cruise is that? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have Netflix, you are not a proper cruise ship in our eyes. You've been judged, Carnival. Judged. <laughs> I see. I think I, this I, guy is like the, the opposite of uh, my oh, guy, yeah. Timothy Dexter, who made bad Absolutely. decisions and had good things happen. This guy made <laughs> crap decisions and got everything that he should have gotten for the decisions he made. Yeah, this guy is the example of karmic payoff being almost instantaneous in that he makes a series of bad decisions and they immediately backfire on him. And it's, look, we don't wish anyone ill on this podcast, but this guy, 16 years in prison, and he probably won't serve 16, he'll probably do like, you know, 12, 14, whatever it might be. Um, He is still not going to be welcomed back when he gets out. I do hope he's able to recognize the terrible decisions he made um and i and you know i understand this has led to a number of security beefs up beef ups and uh, various changes in in cruising procedure and stuff but still the the loss of life in that is, is really quite ridiculous so i i i think 76 is a fair score and let's hope that we never ever have another costa concordia because that is just a nightmare um incidentally there is a, an excellent um kind of mini documentary that um a guy made online on youtube it's called the cost of concordia and he's used like kind of stock footage and free animations to kind of make this video about it it's a very um kind of in-depth study of what happened so if you'd like to know more and he covers uh, an awful lot more than i did um feel free to look that up on youtube it's called the cost of concordia i can't remember the guy's name now but um i'd highly recommend that video Partly because he goes into so much detail, but also because it's quite funny as well, I'm, like the story itself. I'm so. probably going to check that out here yeah. right after this. I, I want to oh, yeah. know. It's, it's like, 
more about that dude that said, get the hell back on the ship. Get back on the fucking ship now. <laughs> it's the fucking was the important part. Like he was he in that moment, he was not a captain. He was like, I will beat you if you do not get back on that ship. Which um, is fair. So, fair. Yeah, it is. It is. So there we go. That's our third episode. Um, we will be launching this podcast in the not too distant future. We will be releasing um, videos um, every fortnight, um, starting from uh, the Monday after this podcast is launched. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, Derek, is there anything you'd like to add? I just want to say thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I hope to keep impressing you with my idiots. Absolutely, me too. I'm having a lot of fun doing this. Me too. Um, yeah, it's great, isn't it? And and at the end of the day, we do l learn elements of stuff here because, you know, I would never have known about your man Dexter and the incredible luck he, he had. And had I not studied so much about the Costa Concordia, I might have been tempted to go on a cruise ship again, but there's no way that's happening now. Um, so, yes, thank you, everybody, for listening. And remember, it's never too late to stop making mistakes in life. The important thing is, if you do make a mistake, you learn from it and you make yourself a better person, unlike uh, the guy who was incredibly fortunate but never got any respect in his life, or the guy who sunk an entire ship full of, like, cognac and cigars. So, until next time, I am Lev. Derek, could you say goodbye, please? Goodbye, people. And uh, we shall see you soon. Bye now. Bye.